winding down our 40 Days of Love. And 40 Days of Love is our, it's our fall campaign. And uh, we've, we've spent the last couple months talking about how we can be better at loving. How we can be better, better lovers, better at loving God, better at loving others, and uh, and so we're we're winding it down. So so uh, next week I'll be in Bolivia, but Pastor Charles is going to give the final message in the series, uh, and so so I had I had an, an opening this weekend, and I I thought about. Um, I thought about just, you know, oftentimes on Thanksgiving weekend, I'll, I'll preach a message about being thankful because that's an important thing for us to think about. But I actually felt kind of led to, to talk about something different, something that I think is really foundational to everything that we're talking about throughout these 40 days, which is actually going to end up being more like 50 days. But hopefully, honestly, hopefully it won't stop at 40 days of love. Hopefully it'll be 365 days of love, right? We're just going to kind of keep loving, keep going with it. But, um, but I want to talk about what I think might be the most important part of all this. At least that's been the case for me. The thing that has made the biggest difference in my life, and you know, I mean, when I met Jesus, obviously that changed everything. But subsequent to meeting Jesus, like where the penny really dropped and like my, my life and my mission and my foundation and like healing and everything changed was when I began to have more of a revelation and I almost say like an experiential revelation of what it means that I can call God Father. That what it means for me to say that God is my Father and, and the strength that that brings, the hope that that brings, the, the, the joy that that brings, all the things that that brings, I would say over the last 40 years that I've been walking with Jesus, I don't think there's anything that has had more of an impact on my life than a revelation of what it means that I can call God Father. And, and I think this is something that's really important for each and every one of us. I think it's something that, that's always important, kind of generation to generation, that we know what it means when we say God is Father. What are we actually saying? What does that mean? But I think that nowadays it's kind of more important than ever because things have been happening in our society where we're, we're kind of marginalizing fathers. You know, the, some of it, I won't, you know, get into all of it, but some of it has to do with, with this thing now in our culture where we're saying gender is just a construct and there's really no difference between men and women, all that kind of... One of the side effects of that is it, it's kind of making fathers kind of less important, important and kind of arbitrary. And, and there's other things that have been kind of going on that are bringing us to this place of, of kind of fatherlessness, you know, that kind of, it almost makes it harder for us to understand what it means when we call God Father. Let me, let me give you some stats. Um, we are seeing a growing percentage of children uh, born out of wedlock, you know, born without a mother and a father in the home. And I, I remember 30 years ago, there was this uh, sitcom called Murphy Brown. Does any old people remember Murphy Brown? It was a show with Candace Bergen. It was a very popular sitcom. And, and 30 years ago, there was this plot development where Murphy Brown, who wasn't married, she got pregnant, so she's going to have a baby out of wedlock. And it, it actually created this, like, real controversy in our culture. You know, it was kind of like culture war type stuff. And, and like I remember at the time, the vice president, Dan Quayle, he weighed in. And there was this whole conversation about fathers and fatherlessness. Well, that was 30 years ago. And honestly, now, if a show like that, you know, came about, it wouldn't even, wouldn't even be a blip. I mean, it wouldn't even be anything that we've noticed because culture has kind of shifted so much. And so now, 40% of all births 
are to unwed mothers. And if you go under the age of 30, uh, over 50% of all births to women under the age of 30 are to unwed mothers. And so really, you know, I mean, over the last 30 years, things have really shifted. Things have really, things have really, have really changed. And then we see this statistic kind of shocked me that 20% of children under the age of 18 haven't seen their father in over a year. That, that's, that's shocking, isn't it? That one out of five kids under the age of 18 haven't seen their father. I'm not talking about, you know, maybe they're shared custody and you see your father on a weekend. 20% of kids just don't have any kind of relationship with their father. Uh, mass incarceration is a problem. We have so many people in prison and, and over a million men in prison have kids under the age of 18. And so obviously those fathers are separated from their children. And so you factor all of this together, like kind of this cultural moment that we're in, and, and there's a, there are a lot of social pathologies, there's a lot of issues, there's a lot of things that come out of all of this fatherlessness that our society is experiencing. So 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. And so five times, now if, if, you, if there's a child who doesn't have a father in the house, that child is five times more likely to kill himself. Uh, 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. So that's 32 times the national average. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders uh, come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the national averages. So like the data's in. And there's all this stuff, like, it's so clear that removing fathers from homes and marginalizing fathers in, in the lives of our children, there are serious consequences for it, but we don't, we don't talk about it. Like, we talk about lots of things in our culture, we don't ever talk about this because it just, for whatever reasons, it's not politically correct to talk about, it's not seen as an issue, but the data shows it's a major issue. It's a major problem. And uh, the National Center for Fathering said this, negatively... Children from fatherless homes are more likely to be poor, become involved in drug and alcohol abuse, drop out of school, suffer from health and emotional problems. Boys are more likely to become involved in crime, and girls are more likely to become pregnant as teens in father-absent families. On the other hand, studies have conclusively shown that children who receive higher levels of attention and interaction with their fathers are healthier and better adjusted than children without fathers or with dads who are uninvolved. Now, with all of this, let me just say to the single moms who are out there, don't despair, right? This is not a, a death, you know, a, a death sentence. This is not a fait accompli. What we're talking about here are risk factors. And there are many exceptions to, to the rules. One of the things that the Bible, that God reveals all throughout the Old and the New Testament is that when you have an orphan, and really an orphan back then was considered someone who didn't have a father. When you had an orphan, that, that God was going to have a special relationship with that orphan, was going to have a special uh, kind of leaning into to support and care for that child as well as, as well as for his mother. And so I just want to say to any single moms that are out here, please do not be discouraged by this or do not feel hopeless because the promise of God is that if you are raising a child by yourself, and you're calling on God to help you, that He is going to run to your defense, that He is with you, and that He's going to be your strength, and He's going to be your fortress, and you're not in it alone. And, so, and there are so many examples of people in history or people you know, in church history 
who grew up fatherless, but were able to accomplish incredible things and lead incredibly productive lives. And, and the other reality, just we've got to be aware, is we're talking about, about the statistics that I just listed are from homes where fathers aren't present. We've got a lot of homes where maybe fathers are present, but they're emotionally not there. Right? They're just, they're not present. They're not, they may be there physically, but they're not there emotionally. They're not providing the support and the connection that's needed. And, and um, the reality is this issue of having negative father-child relationships, it's not something that's new. It's not something that's just popped up over the last 30 years. It's been around forever. Like you go back, you read the Old Testament, and you read about, you know, some of the things that happened, uh, you know, historically throughout the nation of Israel. Like there were a lot of bad fathers that, uh, that were kind of primary players in the Old Testament. One example is King David. I mean, David is known as a man after God's own heart. Jesus is called the son of David. But you read about David, he was a, he was a bad father. Like, he was not a good father. He had lots of wives, and so he had all these kids who were like half-brothers and half-sisters. And so without going into details, there was this one son that he had who raped his half-sister, but then King David did nothing about it, didn't address it, didn't deal with it. So then his son Absalom, who was the full brother to this particular sister, Tamar, he took matters into his own hands, killed the offender, and then a few years later, because, you know, he was mad about this, he rose up in rebellion, and there was this whole, like, civil war in the nation of Israel because David was a passive father, is really what you can kind of trace it back to. You know, and then you've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you read about, you know, about these patriarchs. And, and man, there was a lot of crazy father stuff that was going on. There was jealousy. There was deception. There was, there was also favoritism that was being shown. All this unhealthy stuff that was kind of the result of bad fathering. You had someone named Eli who was, a, who was the high priest. You re read about him in the beginning of the book of Samuel. And, and it clearly says he didn't, so he had two sons who were like a mess. And they were priests, but they were like taking advantage of people and they were just not doing a good job. And Eli was really passive. He never disciplined them. He never did anything. That created problems. And then you have Noah. I won't even, you know, Noah, like after, after the ark lands, there's some crazy stuff that happens with Noah and drinking and his sons. It's just bizarre. But you see that there's, there's, there's examples after example of bad fathering. And so we see it all over our culture. And so what is our hope? What hope do our kids have? How do we overcome absent fathers, incompetent fathers, abusive fathers, controlling fathers, narcissistic fathers, irresponsible fathers, addicted fathers, and let me also say fathers who are doing their best, you know, relying on God's help, but every single one of us, we're broken, we have baggage, we have issues, and that's going to come out in our, in our parenting. So how do we overcome that? How do we deal with that? Because it's so easy for us, if we're talking about God as Father, it's so easy for us to project our experiences with our imperfect earthly fathers onto our heavenly fathers and not come into the strength in life that God has for us. What is our hope? And the primary hope that we have is that Jesus came to show us the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. One of the primary missions that Jesus had was to reveal to us what Father God is like. Because Jesus knew Father God from the very beginning. And people had all sorts of weird conceptions about what God was like. Jesus wanted to make sure we understood what our Heavenly Father was like. And He said this in John chapter 14. 
This is when his disciples, he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's having this long conversations with his disciples. And so Philip, one of the disciples, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, how incredible is that, that Jesus says, I want you to know that your heavenly Father who you don't see, I am the exact representation of the invisible God. If you want to know what Father God is like, look to me. Look to my mercy. Look to my compassion. Look to my sacrifice. Look to my loving care. And then you'll understand what your heavenly Father is like. How, how incredible is it? How wonderful is it that we can know that Father God is just like Jesus? Amen. We, can get, we can do better than that. We can know that Father God is just like Jesus. Amen. There we go. Now listen, I'm going to preach a little bit this morning, all right? I'm going to preach. I know you guys have the trick to fed thing going on. You're coming out of your turkey comas. But, but if you can, you know, help me out here. This will kind of go better for all of us. When, the more amens you guys give me, the faster I preach. So it actually will even get us out of here quicker, all right? But, uh, but 175 times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father. Every time he prayed, it was Father. When the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray, he said, here's how you pray. Our Father who is in heaven. 175 times he referred to God as Father. Often he referred to God as Abba, Father. Abba was the Hebrew word for Daddy. Abba is what a little kid would call their father. And Jesus said, we can call God, Father God. We can call him Abba. But we're so used to this, right? We say, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name. We don't understand how radical it was that Jesus said we can call God Father. Prior to Jesus, no other religion had the audacity to call Jesus Father. And since Jesus, lots of other religions that have started since Jesus do not have the audacity to call Jesus Father. You have Hinduism. Hinduism has millions of gods, but none of them are called Father. Even Brahma, who's considered the great creator God, he's impersonal. Or you have Islam, with the 99 noble names of Allah, not one of them is Father. Out of all the names, and actually there's a book by this woman, I can't remember her first name, her last name is Sheik, but the name of the book, and it's a book, it's her biography, about how she came to faith in Jesus, how she became a Christian from a Muslim background, and the title of the book is I Dared to Call Him Father. Because that's how radical it was for her to call God Father. It started this chain of events that changed everything in her life and brought her to faith in Jesus. Even in Judaism, you know, in the Old Testament, there are times that God is called the father of the nation or the father of the king. But you don't, an individual, someone who's like sitting in the cheap seats, they can't call God Father. That, that would be considered inappropriate. And shockingly, the first record of a Jewish rabbi, the first written record of a rabbi saying that a regular person can call God Father was written in 1000 A.D. So 1,000 years after Jesus is the first time we see a rabbi call God Father. And so we don't understand how radical it was that Jesus showed us the Father, said we can call Him Father. Something else that we need to understand is that in the early church, they were having these incredible experiences with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's being poured out, and it was just very common, it was very normal for someone when they became a Christian to have a baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so Paul is trying to kind of theologize and explain what's going on. And what Paul landed on when he's trying to explain this baptism or empowering of the Holy Spirit, he tells us in point two that the Holy Spirit reveals the Father to us. That the primary thing, well, there are other things that were going on for empowering and anointing, but really the important thing that's happening when the Holy Spirit is poured out is God is showing our hearts what it means, like deep in our hearts, what it means that we can call God Father. Here's an example, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so if you, have the, if you have the Spirit, you're a child of God. Therefore, you can call God Father. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so what Paul is saying, one of the things that happens when we receive the Holy Spirit is we get this revelation that we're children of God. We get this revelation that God is our Father. And so it's almost like this reflexive, we call out, Abba, Father. It's like, imagine if you took your kid to get ice cream. You took your daughter to get ice cream. And a uh, little, just a uh, little helpful tip. The best ice cream in Bergen County, by the way, is Van Dyke's in Ridgewood. Anyone here been to Van Dyke's in Ridgewood? Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. They're probably closed for the season, but next spring, go to Van Dyke's. So you take your kid to Van Dyke's, and she's all excited. She's getting her favorite ice cream, getting sprinkles and all this stuff. And imagine if as soon as you step outside of Van Dyke's, she goes to take that first lick, and it falls, you know, the ice cream falls off the cone and lands on the ground. That little girl is going to instinctively cry out, Daddy! Daddy, get me more ice cream. You don't, you know, the child is just going to come from this deep place. Daddy, something terrible happened. My ice cream is gone. What Paul is saying is that there's lots of ways that we can know God as Father, right? We can know through apologetics. We can know through scriptural revelation. We can know through faith. But there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart. There's something that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And I'm telling you, it's going to, if the, when this happens or as this happens or as it deepens, it will change your life. He will give Give you a revelation that God is your Father, that God is your Abba. And so you will reflexively cry out. When you're feeling pressure in your life, you will cry out, Abba, Father. When you are hurting in your life, you will cry out, Abba, Father. When you're facing forces and challenges and difficulties and hopelessness, there's something inside of you that will cry out, Abba, Father. And it's a work. It's something that the Holy Spirit does. When you're stressed, when you're going through it, you instinctively cry out, Daddy. You know that you know that you know that no matter what you're going through, you have a perfect Father in heaven who knows the hairs on your head, whose thoughts towards you outnumber the sands of the seashore. Someone who is exactly like Jesus, who is the exact image of the invisible God. And so you are living your life 
And I'm telling you, listen, there's nothing greater than you can have for your life, for all the things that you're facing, for all the things that you are facing, that you will face, where you know that you know that you know because the Holy Spirit's done a work deep within your heart that you know He's your Abba. And so when it, when it hits the fan, I won't say what hits the fan, but when it hits the fan, you cry out, Abba, Father. And there's nothing that you can have that's more important than that. And one of the reasons I know this is so important, not only for my own life, which I'll talk about in a moment, but this is something that Jesus had. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so the way that his human side was strengthened, the way that his human side was able to deal with all the challenges, difficulties, sacrifices that he dealt with is he had this Holy Spirit Abba revelation. And we actually have it recorded a number of times in the gospel. One of the times that we see it is at Jesus' baptism. Right? The beginning of his ministry when he's baptized by John the Baptist. It says this in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, this was that, that moment, that revelation, that Abba moment where Jesus in his humility humanity understood even more clearly that God was his father. And so the Holy Spirit settled on him almost like in bodily form. They saw it like a dove and it alighted on Jesus. And then he heard a voice that said, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And so what all, you know, what it tells us, the first like recorded thing that we see about Jesus' public ministry in all the gospels says he went from here filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we see though that not, it wasn't just this one-time thing. We see that this happened again. It happened in Matthew chapter 17. It might have happened other times, but these are the times that it's recorded. Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration where he was transfigured, where, where Peter, Peter, James, and John with him. And so they got to see Jesus in all of his glory. And then plus, Moses and Elijah showed up, so that was pretty cool. And so Peter's like, wow, this is awesome. I don't know what to do. This, I'm a little freaked out. Let's build a booth. Let's build a tabernacle. Let's do something. And so it says, while he was still speaking, while Peter is still trying to like, all right, let's do something with this, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I love that. It was just kind of like, Shut up, Peter. Would you just shut up? I gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Shut up and listen to Jesus. But again, though, we see that same thing. We see the Holy Spirit settling on Jesus. We see he's feeling the Holy Spirit. There's an experience that's happening. But then there's a voice. God communicates to Jesus, you are my son. I am proud of you. I am with you. Jesus needed that. We need that. We need that in our life. We need that Abba experience. And I think about my own life. And as I said, you know, I don't know if there's anything that's been more foundational, more formational for me than having this ongoing revelation of the Father's love. I remember the first time that I experienced this. I was, I was 17 years old. And I'd grown up in a Christian home, but I didn't want anything to do with it. I was rebellious. But then, at the end of my junior year of high school, when I was 17, I went all in with Jesus. I said, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm going to go for it. And I, was, I wanted to change my high school. I wanted to serve God. I was like all in. And so there was this, this 
conference, this Christian camp that I went to that summer, and it was connected. Some of you might know there was a guy named Keith Green who was this, this Christian singer and this revivalist, and, and I really liked him a lot. And so I went to his, he had his ministry, he had this high school camp. And I went down, there was about a hundred other teenagers there, and I was there for two weeks. And it was, you know, I wanted to get empowered by the Holy Spirit. I wanted to learn stuff. I wanted to be about, around other Christians who were on fire for God. I didn't go down there thinking I needed a revelation of the Father's love. But, you know, I wouldn't, even, wouldn't have even really thought of that. But then I remember there was this one guy, one, one morning, this guy named John Dawson was te- teaching on the Father heart of God. And so I'm sitting there listening to how God is our affectionate Father, and He's a loving Father, and He's a considerate Father, and like the Holy Spirit is just speaking to me. And so at the end of it, you know, He calls us all up to the front for a revelation of the Father's love, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, going up there, and you know, I thought I was cool. I was wearing my denim jacket, even though I'm in Texas in the summer, you know, and, and but I'm t- I was just, I was just undone. I remember like falling down in my knees and I was, I was crying and it wasn't, it wasn't just a little tear that was like going down my cheek. There was like snot coming out of my nose. Like, like God was doing some deep work in me showing, you know, I was adopted. And so there was all sorts of father issues that I had that I didn't even know about, but the Holy Spirit was getting into my heart and was revealing to me that God was my father and it, and it changed everything. And I've had, I've had other moments in my life where God, is, God has revealed His love to me. And, and I, could, I could tell you all of them. I'll tell you one more. And so my son, Andy, he was born almost 29 years ago. He'll turn 29 in the beginning of January. And so I remember when, when he was born, you know, we're at Valley Hospital in Ridgewood. And it ended up being a difficult birth. It was a little more difficult for my wife than it was for me. But, uh, you know, it had to be like an emergency C-section. And, and so, so by the time everything was fine and everything, you know, worked out, he was born at about 7.30 at night. And, and so I'm holding my son. And for any father, you know, that's an incredible moment when your son is born. For me, it was a little extra because he was the very first human being that I ever saw who was related to me by blood. I'd never seen a blood relative before. And, of course, he ended up looking just like my wife. But that's okay. That was, that was, that was better for him. So that's all, that's all good. The, my next one looked a little bit more like me. But, uh, but I just remember that night, you know, just this, this incredible, like it just, I felt like the Grinch. You know, my heart had grown three sizes that day. And, and I was just filled with this love. And so it got to be about 3 o'clock in the morning, and Norma's sleeping, Andy's sleeping. So I'm like, I'm going to go home for a little bit and take a shower, maybe get a little bit of sleep, get right back. And as I'm driving, I just remember driving, you know, home. I lived in Hawthorne at the time, driving from Ridgewood. And my heart is just filled with love. And uh, like you can't even describe, like, you know, like a, a deeper love than I'd ever experienced before in my life. And, I, and in that moment when I was driving, I heard the voice of God. I don't know if it was an audible voice, but it might have been because it was as clear as anything I've ever heard. And what God said to me is the way that, I, the way that you feel about Andy right now And the way that I felt about Andy was like my heart was going to explode with love. God said, this is a fraction of how I feel about you all the time. And I remember, I remember in that moment, in that moment, I was just, I was undone. 
I was undone. I couldn't drive. I had to pull over. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm just pulled over in the side of the road in Ridgewood just crying because God gave me this revelation of his Father's love towards me, of his heart towards me. See, we need this. The Holy Spirit wants to show you the Father. The Holy Spirit wants you to have a revelation of who the Father is. The Holy Spirit wants to deepen that revelation of who the Father is. And yes, it's rational, but it's transrational. There's also a thing where God will do something in your heart and just awaken in you this depth, this understanding that God is my Father. If God is for me, who can be against me? God wants to do that in your life, and it'll change everything. And listen, I've, I've seen through the, through the years, you know, you'll have, you'll have people who, you know, we've, we're seeing this thing now with culture being so antagonistic against Christianity. A lot of kids who grew up in the church will deconstruct their faith and will kind of walk away from it and be like, I don't know if I want to believe that anymore. But when you have that revelation of the Father's love, when you have that, like, Abba moment where you see clearly that God is for you, it is so hard to walk away from that. Like, you can walk away from religion, but it's hard to walk away from a revelation of the Father's love. You know, part of my story, I won't go into the details of it, but I went from this on-fire, radical, you know, just going for a Christian in my early 20s to just totally walking away from God and doing a 180, going the other direction. I remember one moment, one time, you know, early on, I was at this party. And, you know, it's this great, I'm at this fun party and Lots of fun people there. And I'm, you know, I'm getting a little bit buzzed. And there's this cute girl who's flirting with me. And I'm just like, I remember having this moment of thinking, I wish I could enjoy this. Like I'm watching all these other people around me just having a good time. But I knew something different. I hadn't experienced the Father's love. I had experienced the difference that the Father's love had made, and I walked away from it. And I remember sitting at that party, looking at all the other knuckleheads just having a good time and saying, I wish I didn't know what I know because I can't enjoy this because I know there's something more because I've experienced the Father's love, and I know there's nothing else like it. And it took me a couple of years after that to come back to it, but I, I had to come back to it because once you know the goodness of God, no matter where you look in this world, no matter what road you go down, you will not find anything that touches your heart and gives you strength and gives you hope and gives you healing like knowing the love of the Father. There's nothing like it. And so what does the Holy Spirit want to teach us? What does He want to show us? A couple things quick. He wants to let us know that He's a generous Father, that our Heavenly Father is a generous Father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. John, who was, who was the beloved disciple, he was as close to Jesus as anyone on earth. And he wrote this years later. He said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now, the word he uses here for lavished is the Greek word didomai, and it means kind of, it gives the, the image of, of standing under a waterfall, like standing under Niagara Falls. This is the love of God that has been lavished on us. And so John would use these adjectives, Paul would use these adjectives, these, these crazy over-the-top adjectives to describe the incredible love that God has for us, the abundant, extravagant, overflowing riches, wave after wave of of grace, standing under a waterfall of the love of God. And so has the spirit of adoption revealed to you how generous your heavenly Father is, how generous He is, how lavish He is, how He wants to pour His love out on you. There was a song that the Jewish people would sing at Passover. I think they still sing it. It's called Dianu. And what Dianu means is 
it would have been enough or it would have been sufficient. And the way the song goes is like this. It says, if God had only freed us from Egypt, Dianu, it would have been enough. But he did more. He split the Red Sea. If God had only split the Red Sea, it would have been enough. Dianu, but God did more. He gave us manna in the wilderness to feed us. If God had only given us manna, Dianu, it would have been enough, but he did more. He gave us water in the wilderness. If God had only given us water, Dianu, it would have been enough, but he gave us the law. If, and it just kind of lists all the things that God did. Now for us, as followers of Jesus, of people, if, if the Israelites were able to say, God, thank you for manna, thank you for water, thank you for the law, how much more can we say Dianu? Can we say it would have been enough understanding what Jesus has done for us, right? If God had only forgiven our sins by Jesus' death and said, hey, your sins are wiped out, nothing more will be held against you, die anew, that would have been enough. But God has done more. He reconciled us to himself. And so now we have peace with God. Now we can call God our friend. If God had only forgiven us and reconciled us to himself, die anew, that would have been enough. But God has done more. He adopted you as his son and as his daughter. And now you are part of the family of God. Now, if God had only forgiven you, had only reconciled you, had only adopted you, it would have been enough. But God has done more. Die anew. He has called you a co-heir with Christ. Not only are you adopted into the family of God, you will rule and reign with Jesus for all of eternity. The book of Revelation says that we will share Jesus' throne. How much more can we celebrate the generosity of God, the dianu of God, and say, God, you have given us way more than we ever could have hoped for. You have given us way more than we ever deserved. You have been so generous. You have been so faithful. You have been so good. Die anew, God. It would have been enough, but you keep giving. Your generosity keeps being poured out upon us over and over and over again. Thank you, Jesus for the incredible generosity. The last thing is that he is an affectionate father. He is an affectionate father. So many of the men, so many of the baby boomers grew up, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, almost, I'm an old Xer, but uh, the baby boomers grew up with, they were the children of the greatest generation, the World War II generation. And a lot of fathers from that World War II generation were incredibly loving, but you didn't say it. Right? It was like implied. You didn't say, I love you. You didn't kind of lavish with affection. And, but it's like they worked hard. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, you know I love you. I don't need to say it. But that's not what our Heavenly Father is like. Our Heavenly Father not only works hard and is faithful and is there for us, He is incredibly affectionate. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is Hosea chapter 11. And it says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Hosea. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. A lot of times people will say, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. You ever hear anyone say that? Have you ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. 
But you know what? Listen, this is the God of the Old Testament. And the God of the Old Testament says, I led you with cords of kindness. I was like one who took a little child and lifted you up to my cheek so we were cheek to cheek and rubbed my beard all over your cheek. He said, I'm that kind of father. I'm the kind of father who bends down to feed you. And what Jesus showed us is this is what our heavenly father is like. He is an affectionate father. He pours out. That's why when Jesus was baptized, the affection, the embrace of the spirit, the words of affirmation, this is my son whom I love. In you I am well pleased. And I would say maybe the pinnacle of Jesus' revelation of the father heart of God, of what God is really like, is found in the prodigal son. I won't go through the whole thing, but as you can read it in Luke 15. Even if you don't read the Bible a lot, you probably are familiar with that, with that parable. And it basically what it is is you got this ungrateful son, right? His father's wealthy. He comes to his father. He's like, I don't want to live with you anymore. I want my inheritance. I want to go strike out on my own, which was kind of like saying to the father, I wish you were dead. It was like a real insult that we don't kind of get just reading it. But in the culture, you'd understand like this was really an insult. But the father said, okay, you can, you can have your part of the inheritance. And so I guess he had a you know, sell-off part of his cattle and his farm or whatever he had and give his son his inheritance. His son went off and the Bible says squandered it on riotous living. So he was just living large. It was just parties. It was drinking. It was prostitutes. But then eventually the money ran out. So then the friends and the party stopped. He ended up having nothing. He's working, uh, taking care of pigs, which for a Jewish kid is like the biggest indignity. And he's looking at the the slop that the pigs are eating. And he's like, oh man, I I need to eat some of that because I'm so hungry. And then he came to his senses, the Bible says. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father. There's no way he'll let me be a son because I messed that up. But maybe he'll let me be a slave, and then things will be, you know, better than they are now. And so what it tells us, and understand, this is what, this is Jesus trying to let us know the incredible generosity, the incredible affection of our Heavenly Father. It says this in, in, uh, in Luke, John chapter 15, verse 20. So we got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. He ran to his smelly, pig-stained son, and he embraced him, and he hugged him, and he kissed him, and he put rings on his finger. He put a robe around his shoulders. He threw a party for him. And I just want to tell anyone who's here right now, and if you feel like you've messed up your life, that you're like that kid with the pig slop, and you say, this is kind of a description of where my life is right now. Maybe you've left, messed up your life through drugs. Maybe you've messed up your life with a lot of deceit. Whatever it might be, I want to tell you, your heavenly Father is waiting for you on the top of the road. And if you will just say, help me, Jesus, if you will take half a step towards him, he will run to you, and he will embrace you, and he will restore restore you, and he will pour his affection out upon you. All you need to do is say, help. It's all you need to do. You don't have to prove that you mean it. You don't have to do, just say, help, and he will run to you. This is the God that Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants you to know. He wants you to know your perfect Abba, your heavenly Father. 
And when you know God like this, it changes everything. When you live your life from this foundation, when you live your life knowing that no matter what I face, no matter what I deal with, no matter how I feel today, no matter what challenges are going to face me tomorrow, I know that my Abba is there for me. And if I fall down, I'm going to cry out, Abba, Father, and He's going to pick me up and He's going to hold me cheek to cheek and He's going to lavish His generosity and His affection upon me. I want us, man, I want us to be a church full of people who know the love of the Father. That we don't just know it here, but we know it here through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. It changes everything. And it's something that God wants to do. Yes, there are moments where He does it, like some of the moments I explained to you. But just day by day by day, we remind ourselves. There are times when we walk by faith, not by sight, and we just have to remind ourselves. I know it doesn't feel like it right now. It doesn't look like it right now. But maybe there's somebody here right now, and you're going through something, and you're like, man, you look at the circumstances of my life, and it's hard to prove from my circumstances right now because things are so hard that I have a generous, affectionate father. Father, but I'm going to choose to believe that he loves me no matter what. Though he slay me, which he's not, but though it appears like he slay me, yet will I trust him. And maybe there's someone here and that's, God is just saying, listen, I want, you to, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. But this whole thing of this, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, this, this revelation of the Father's love, the Puritans, and I guess it's fitting, that just dawned on me when I was doing the sermon at 9.30, that I guess it's good at, at uh, Thanksgiving weekend to talk about the Puritans for a minute. But the, the early ones, the ones who came over on the Mayflower, that, you know, that wave of Puritans, they were, you know, really, really, they were strong Christians. And they were actually, surprisingly, they were a little charismatic, you wouldn't think that they were. You think of them as just these austere, stiff kind of religious people. But they, they had lots of experiences with the Holy Spirit. And they had a word for the baptism or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a phrase. They called it the Father's Kiss. And that actually is a pretty biblical phrase because it says this in Romans 5.5. 5. It says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that that has been given to us. You see, Christianity is more than, than just believing certain things and trying to live a moral life and coming to church every now and then. Christianity is knowing that God is your Abba. Christianity is believing but also experiencing that the love of the Father has been poured out in you. And what I want us to do now is I want us to just give the Holy Spirit some room. I want to give him an opportunity to, to do... I've been up here, I've been trying to share and talk and preach, but, but really, only the Holy Spirit can give us that revelation. And we're not going to pass the offering basket right now. We're going to have people at the, at the doors for your connection card and, and any physical offering that you have. But I, you know, honestly, I tell you, I, I didn't expect there to be a lot of people this weekend because it's such a travel weekend, but it's nice to see all you guys. Um, but let's all stand for a moment. And I, you know, I don't, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for 40, 50 years. Maybe, you know, like me, you've had some moments where you, you deeply experienced the revelation of the Father, but, but we need to be reminded. We need those other moments. You know, Jesus had the baptism. He also had the transfiguration, right? The disciples had Pentecost, and then a few chapters later, they had the place shaken as the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so whether all this is new to you, 
I'll tell you, maybe for some of you this is new, and I just believe that God wants to do something in your heart. That God wants to open the eyes of your heart, that you would see that everything that I'm talking about, like it's not just like, okay, that's just the preacher preaching. No, this is God wanting you to know, I created you, I redeemed you, I love you, I'm for you. There is a strength that I have for your life that you're not going to find anywhere else. There's a healing that I have for your life that you're not going to find anywhere else. And so we're just going to give the Holy Spirit a moment to speak to us, to reveal, to open the eyes of our hearts that we can see clearly so that we can experience the love of the Father. And so just close your eyes. And if you want, you know, you can hold up your hands like this. There's nothing magical about this. It's just like you're receiving something. Because I think God wants us to receive. And so come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that 40 years ago, God, you showed me the love of the Father in a way that I'll never forget. In a way that has changed the trajectory of my life. And God, I thank you that it's something that you've done for Christians throughout every century, and even to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would show us Holy Spirit that you would show us the Father. God, we live in a world that's cold, where, as your word says, sometimes it seems like the love of men's hearts have grown even colder. But Lord, you are love. And God, I pray that we would stand under that waterfall of your love for just a moment. That we would drink deep, Lord, from the, the rivers of living water of knowing that you're our Father. So come, Holy Spirit. Show us the Father. And just ask God right now, just ask Him and quietly in your heart, say, God, would you please, through the Spirit, show me how much you love me. It's not a greedy prayer. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a very biblical prayer. And He sees you leaning in. And he says of you, I am well pleased. I am well pleased with you. I am proud of you. I am with you. So come, Holy Spirit. Bless your presence here right now. I can see the Holy Spirit just beginning to engage with people, beginning to minister. Just just drink it in. I bless, I just bless God's presence right over here. I just see God moving in people right here to my right. Lord, I pray for more. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour out the revelation of your love right now in Jesus' name. Let it come. More, Jesus. More. You are loved. You are someone who is radically loved. The core of your identity, the foundation of your life, is you are radically loved by your Heavenly Father. He created you to love you, and He's loved you every day of your life, and He will love you every day from here on out. You are loved by your Father. Let it come, God. Show us the Father. Bless your presence, God. See, moments like this, there's nothing I need to do. I don't need to hype anything up. We just receive. Receive what God's doing. He speaks to us all differently. 
Some people, it's an earthquake. Some people, it's a whisper. Everything in between. There's no right or wrong way. But just let God speak to your heart. Let him go into those places of wounds. More, Lord, I bless your presence. I'm going to ask, we're going to do one other thing here. I just want to kind of do an old-fashioned vineyard ministry time. And so I want to invite you to come up because I think there's something that happens when we lay hands and we pray and we bless what God is doing where there's more. And so I think there's more that God has for us. And so we're going to take a few moments. And I just want to encourage you, if you're hungry for more of a, a deeper revelation of the Father's love, to have God's love just runs deeper in you. And again, if you're new to this or if you've been a Christian for 100 years, that you would say, God, I want more. God, I need to be reminded. Maybe there have been some cobwebs that have grown up around some revelations that you've given before. I need those shaken off, God. I need a fresh revelation. I want to invite you to come up. You don't have to do anything. Just come on up to the front. And there's just something about that that just says, God, I want more. I want more of what you have for me. Nobody's watching. Nobody's looking. But just come up and say, God, I want more. God, I'm hungry for you. God, I'm hungry for your love. God, I want you to fill me. I want to know that I know that I know down to the depths of my being that you love me, that you're my Father. Bless your presence, God. Let it come. More, Lord, more of you. More of you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let it come. Bless your presence. More. And I pray in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus that you would pour out the love of the Father. God, that you'd pour out right now that we would stand under the waterfall, Lord, of your love, the abundance of your love. God, let it come right now in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. May the eyes of your heart be opened up to know that you know that you know that the Father himself loves you. That the Father says of you, you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased. Receive the Father's kiss right now, cheek to cheek. The love of the Father, in Jesus' name, let it come. More. More, God, we bless your presence. Bless your presence, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to linger here. Grimaldi's going to keep playing a little bit. And I don't know if, if somebody's going to get to pray for everyone. That's okay. You, don't, you can just, just, just stand. Just receive what God has. But if we have small group leaders, if we have prayer ministry people, you know, people who want to just come, all you need to do is just don't, like, break the flow of what's happening. Just put your hand on the person's shoulder and just pray for more. Just pray that God will give them a deeper revelation. Pray that God's love would be poured out. So let's have some people come up because the Holy Spirit's moving here all over. And so let's just bless what God's doing, all right? So let's have some people come up and pray. And we'll just kind of linger here for a couple minutes, all right? Just let God do what he's going to do. God bless you guys. Come, Holy Spirit. We bless your prayer.